All right, so it's six o'clock time to start and I does everybody have copies of last week's study guide and this week's study guide? Did I take care of everybody? Did, did you need this week's? What did I just do with that? All right. Um, are you the only one? I think so. Jim, you're standing, therefore I have picked you. Would you run in and make copy of this for them, please? Oh, we had an extra. Never mind. You're off the hook, my friend. And you got the one from last week? I don't have one either, so. Then here, go make copy. The code is 1111. Oh my gosh, that's on the recording. There's going to be random rogue. Re Levi's going to have a fit. Le Levi's our internet security cyber, you know, uh, uh, genius. Genius, yeah. So, okay, great. Um, well, it's not like it's on the internet or anything. <laughs> yeah, really. Once it goes on the internet, it's gone forever. Let's see. Now, did you guys need the one from last week? You were here last week, right? Yeah, okay. Okay, I, you've got it. So you're good to go. Yeah. All right, all right, here we go. So. Now that Jim's making his copy and we are ready to roll here, anything uh, that you would like us to pray about tonight, anything that's on your mind right now that, you know, you want us to especially remember? Could I list my brother? Uh, he's going to have to have some dental work done as a result of all of the reconstruction he had done on his face about five years ago. Okay. I understand. We can pray about that. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Tim. Tim. All right. We can pray for hurricane victims. You know, just because it didn't hit Florida as bad as was originally predicted, it still did some harm in the Bahamas and, you know, as a guy who's been on two whole cruises in my life, and both of them to the Bahamas, there's nice people there too, believe it or not. It just goes figures that wherever you go in this world, you'll meet nice people. And once you've seen and been to other places and met nice people, you care a lot more about what happens there. It's just kind of funny how that works. And so I was just thinking about the nice people that we met in on the island of Free, uh, Freeport. And... Uh, it's really wild because we, we went to a cave on Freeport that is called Jones's Cave or Jonesy's Cave or something like that. And uh, like 75 years ago, there was a hurricane like this one that was massive and just sort of stuck right over the Bahamas and the people survived by going into that cave. Anybody who wasn't in that cave didn't make it. <laughs> But the ones in that cave made it, and we went down in there, you know, and I just kept thinking about that cave and imagining riding out, you know, 175 mile an hour winds and just constant rain, and uh, it's incredible. All right, well, let's begin with prayer, and we'll get right into our study. Dear God, thank you so much for these scholars, for these investigators, for these curious minds, Lord, for these loving hearts. We pray a blessing for Sarah or one other right now. Yeah. And uh, ask that you uh, just bless us as we gather together right now, especially 
as we seek to learn your word. We remember Tim and uh, all, well, both Tims that come to mind right now in our group. And Lord, we just ask your special blessing on them. Finally, Lord, bless our study. Help us to hear with Holy Spirit-informed minds and hearts, we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Now, lesson four. As, uh, as always, the goal is to obtain a better understanding of the core differences between Israel and Islam. That's what we're shooting for here. I want to read an article to you. And it'll take a minute, but I think you're going to find this really insightful because it fills in some gaps in the story. If you haven't been in the class yet, we've been studying the birth of Ishmael and Isaac and the relationship between uh, Abraham and Ishmael's mother, Hagar, and the differences between his relationship with them and his relationship with his wife, Sarah, and Isaac and some of the things we've come to know for example the the idea that Hagar was a Egyptian princess it comes to us from ancient uh, Jewish wisdom it comes from Jewish knowledge that is imparted through the Midrash and the other commentaries and and uh, records that were established by the rabbis and the, the scholars of scripture from almost as long ago as the scripture itself. So it's pretty trustworthy. So this article about Ishmael, Abraham's other son, is written by Yehuda Sherpin. I'm gonna guess this is a Jewish rabbi. I, he is, I'm just joking. Abraham had two sons, Isaac and Ishmael. Son, uh, son uh, it should have been a comma there. Ishmael, son of the maidservant, Hagar, Ishmael, was the firstborn and is considered to be the father of the Arabic nations. Yet Isaac was chosen to carry on Abram's legacy. Banished from his father's home, Ishmael had his ups and downs, but ultimately he repented and was considered righteous. In fact, although we don't name children after the wicked Esau, son of the greatest Talmudic sages, some of the greatest Talmudic sages and high priests were named Ishmael. So Ishmael is highly regarded even among the Jews. <clears throat> so who was this mysterious and tragic figure? Ishmael's life story is only hinted at in the biblical narrative while much of his story is expounded in the Talmud and the Midrash. So let's dig deeper into Ishmael's origins and perhaps we'll gain a better understanding of him as well as why ultimately Isaac was chosen over Ishmael to be the progenitor of the nation of Israel. Princess Hagar becomes Sarah's maidservant. When Abraham and Sarah arrived in the land of Canaan, Canaan, at God's behest, their promised destination was stricken with a severe famine. So Abraham decided to take his family to Egypt until the famine ended. Aware of the immorality of the Egyptians and Sarah's striking beauty, Abraham hid his wife away in a box, but she was discovered and taken to the king's palace. However, God sent an angel to ensure that Pharaoh would not have an opportunity to defile Sarah. Whenever Pharaoh attempted to be with her, the angel would strike Pharaoh. After Sarah's miraculous escape, Pharaoh gave Abraham and Sarah 
uh, many gifts, and most importantly, he gave his daughter Hagar to Sarah as a maidservant. Pharaoh told his daughter, it's better that you be a servant in Abraham's house than a princess in the land of Egypt. Now, when Abraham was 85 and Sarah 75, and they'd been married for 60 years without having children, Sarah selflessly decided to give her maidservant Hagar to Abraham so he could have children with her. A year later, when Abraham was 86, Hagar gave birth to a baby boy whom she named Ishmael, God will hear, as God had commanded her. When Abraham was 99, God appeared to him and commanded him to circumcise himself as well as his offspring. Ishmael, who was 13 at the time, allowed his father to circumcise him without any objection. It was at this time that God promised Abraham that Sarah would yet bear him a child who would be named Isaac. Sure enough, a year later, Sarah, who was barren, miraculously had a child. Shortly after Isaac's birth, people began referring to Ishmael as Hagar's boy. The seed of jealousy had, and hate began to grow in Ishmael, corrupting him. And when he was about 15, he brought idols into his tent and began worshiping them, mimicking the Canaanite neighbors. He would also go out into the field and shoot arrows at Isaac, all the while pretending to playfully shoot birds. Sarah became aware of Ishmael's ways and demanded that Abraham send away Ishmael and Hagar, who had become arrogant toward her mistress. Abraham felt conflicted about sending away his son until God intervened and commanded him to listen to all that his wife Sarah told him. So Abraham gave Hagar and Ishmael some food and a flask of water and sent them on their way. At first, Hagar, loyal to the service, at first, Hagar remained loyal to the service of God as she had learned while in Abraham's house and her water flask remained miraculously full. But as she wandered further away from Abraham's house in both body and thought, she changed. Her heart slowly began to return to the idols of her youth and the water flask dried up. As they wandered in the desert of Beersheba, Ishmael became very feverish and dehydrated. His mother, unwilling to witness his death, stowed him under a bush and waited in the distance. Both mother and son began to pray to God. At that moment, the angels turned to God and asked, Will you cause a well of water to spring up for him whose descendants will let your children, or will you let your children perish in, with thirst? I didn't say that. Will you cause a well of water to spring up for him whose descendants will let your children perish with thirst? That just doesn't read right. Anyway, the angels are saying, God wants to make a hole in the ground for him and drink some water out of because otherwise that whole thing you said about him being father of many nations isn't going to come true. You like my paraphrase? Not as angelic, but it gets the job done. But God replied, what is Ishmael at this moment, righteous or wicked? And when the angels proclaimed him righteous, for he had repented, God continued, I judge each man according to his current deeds. So God caused a well of water to appear, and Ishmael was saved. After this incident, Hagar and Ishmael settled in the wilderness of Paran. Ishmael became a bandit, robbing passing travelers. I don't think he repented very long, did he? Three years after he had sent Ishmael away, Abraham went to visit his son, swearing to Sarah that he would not dismount his camel in Ishmael's vicinity. 
Abraham arrived at midday and met Ishmael's wife, a Moabite woman, and he asked her, where is Ishmael? And she replied, he and his mother went to bring fruits and dates from the wilderness. Give me some bread and water, Abraham asked her, for I am tired of the rigors of the journey through the wilderness. I have neither water nor bread, she answered. So he told her, when Ishmael comes, say to him, an old man came from the land of Canaan to see you, and he said that you should change the threshold of your house, which is not good for you. We're almost there. When Ishmael returned from the wilderness, she told him what had happened. Ishmael understood his father's message, and he sent his mother to find a wife for him from his father's house. Three years later, Abraham again went to visit his son, and again he swore to Sarah that he would not get off his camel while there. Abraham arrived at midday and found Ishmael's new life, a new wife, Fatima. He asked her, where is Ishmael? And she replied, he and his mother went to the herd camels in the wilderness. Please give me some bread and water, he asked of her, for I am tired from the rigors of the journey through the wilderness. She brought forth bread and water and gave them to him. Abraham stood and prayed to God, and Ishmael's house was filled with bounty and blessing. When Ishmael came back, his wife told him what had happened, and he understood that his father still loved him, even though he was abandoned. From then on, Abraham and Ishmael continued to visit each other. All right. One more paragraph here to, sorry. Once then, once when Ishmael was visiting Abraham, he got into an altercation with his brother Isaac. Ishmael said to Isaac, I am more beloved to God than you since I agreed to be circumcised at the age of 13, but you were circumcised as a baby and could not refuse. Isaac retorted, all you have sacrificed to God was three drops of blood. But I am now 37 years old, yet if God desired that I be slaughtered, I would not refuse. Said the Holy One, blessed be he, this is the moment. God then commanded Abraham, please take your son, only, your only one whom you love, Isaac, and go away to the land of Moriah and bring him up there as an offering on one of the mountains, which I will tell you. Then next morning, Abraham and Isaac, accompanied by Ishmael, and Abraham's servant Eliezer, <coughs> set out for what was to be Abraham's tenth and final test. Eventually, Ishmael repented and made up with his brother Isaac, and when it came time to bury their father Abraham, Ishmael honored his brother by letting Isaac go first. Okay. That is essentially a summary of the Midrash and the Talmud versions of that story. Fascinating, isn't it? And by the way, I gave you a link to that in case you want to look it up yourself. Because I don't ever want you to just take anything I tell you as absolutely correct. That this, this was something that took a little bit of searching to find because <coughs> it's hard to find summary, summations of what is stuff that's spread over ancient books that cover a lot of time. You could take this for what it's worth to you. It isn't meant to be a uh, proof of anything because if, if nobody else says it, I'm the first one that will say it. The Bible is good enough in and of itself. We don't have to add to it or take away from it to make it make sense. However... It is interesting and helpful for us 
to hear information that, uh, that supplies a little better understanding and puts things in perspective for us. And that's really the point of reading this to you, is not to add anything to Scripture in any way or to change anything in the way it's read in the Scripture, but to simply say that these incidents that are recorded in the Bible are definitely not complete pictures of the people or what's going on. So we can guess about some of this stuff. <clears throat> One of the things that hopefully you get from this is that there were clearly two people groups that emerged from these two young men, two distinctive groups. And that's the point you want to get. And that's actually pretty evident just in the scripture. <clears throat> now, for what it's worth, I've been quoting Rabbi Lappin for a lot of this stuff. Rabbi Lappin claims that Ishmael actually circumcised himself. Um, I searched all over the place trying to find someone else who said that, and I couldn't find it. It doesn't really matter, but I'd like to know where he came up with this information. Um, you know, in the scholarly world, it's always a challenge because, at least for me, it's been a challenge. I was this close to going for a doctorate before I was appointed here, and I thought, oh, finally, when I go to, when I go into that program, I can actually write what I think instead of writing what everybody else thinks and making sure that I've given all the proper citations, you know, and I guess that's what happens when you become a rabbi. You can just say what you think, and, and I still have this need to give you citations, so I am sort of torn there. Because, so the bottom line is, is that, in, and this is where the two, where this, this guy uh, that I just read from, Sherpin and Lappin, kind of intersect. They both, they don't agree, uh, they don't say something in agreement about the uh, idea that, that uh, Ishmael was circumcised on his own or by his father. The reason that's important to Rabbi Lappin is because he's going to his argument is that the only circumcision that counts, and this is important, so stay with me on this here. I know this is tough. But the important thing about circumcision, and this is true in Jewish culture, it's true in Judaism, especially Orthodox Judaism, it doesn't count if you're not circumcised by a circumcised believing Jew. In other words, it, it, you're only able to pass the covenant on. That's why Jewish babies, when they're born, it's really important on the eighth day that they're circumcised by a trained, qualified, credentialed person. And it's kind of like the difference between me doing a baptism or you doing a baptism. It's probably okay if you baptize somebody because if they're making a profession of faith and you're saying then I'm you know in the name of Jesus Christ you probably get away with that because I don't think there's gonna be a lightning bolt coming at John Wesley come up out of his grave and get you because you did something only I'm supposed to do but it carries a little bit more credibility when I do it just because I'm supposedly you know trained qualified credentialed whatever and anointed you know so this is why Rabbi Lappin wants you to think that, that Ishmael wasn't part of the covenant. 
Okay, but here's where this whole thing comes back around to both of them agreeing. Whether or not it was a legitimate circumcision, the fact is Ishmael became somebody that Jews thought highly of. Which means that at this point in the story, there's a synergism between the people of Isaac and the people of Ishmael. So keep that in mind because that will become more important as we go further. Right, because of God's special relationship with Abraham. And we talked about this a little bit last week. It all comes from the fact that when God makes a promise, that's it. I mean, God does not change God's mind. God, when God says this is a covenant between you and me, then it's a covenant forever. It's never going to change. And it's because of the covenant between Abraham and the Lord that all of this is, is being covered. Um, Lappin argues that Ishmael has gained a certain favor from God because he was circumcised and because of his father, but that that favor is going to run out one of these days. I find that interesting. He makes the case that it has everything to do with the Jews. As soon as the Jews do certain things, then the uh, people of Ishmael are going to have... Uh, they're going to have a little bit more free reign to do what they want, you know, because there'll be a breach of the covenant. So that's a, it's a discussion for another time. All right. Now, let's talk for a minute about Ishmael. What kind of guy is Ishmael? He's a wild horse of a man. Wild horse of a man. That's what it says in the Bible. Yep. That's probably where we get the whole saying, you know, let's stop the horse play right now. It's probably all because of Ishmael, you think? Probably. I thought it was interesting in that letter when he was saying that Ishmael shot arrows at, uh, at Isaac and pretending that he was playing. I thought, I mean, that kind of goes along with the, I guess, with the reputation that he had, or maybe it built the reputation that he had. I thought that was amusing. I was looking in here to see if there, I didn't see if it, there was any biblical references to it, I, but, but I didn't read everything. I don't know if there is. Well, we read last week, and uh, we were looking at, what was it, guys? Uh, I forgot to move my bookmark forward. Um, you jump past Sodom and Gomorrah. Yeah, if you go to, to chapter 21, at verse 8 of Genesis, from that point forward to the end of the chapter, you see, or no, I'm sorry, to the end of verse 20, you see the story of how Sarah basically told Abraham, I think it's time that Ishmael and Hagar move on. Uh, it's time for them to, to, to hit the road. And the reason is alluded to in that passage. Does anybody remember where that is? That, that uh, he was mocking. He was mocking Isaac. Isaac. I think. Yeah. Mm -hmm. This is uh, a loaded phrase because what it means is, is that uh, Ishmael was bullying Isaac. He was he was bullying Isaac. He was exposing Isaac to all sorts of mature content. 
that, um, and, and think about it. And, and I, you know, part of the reason I read this thing to you from the Midrash is, is this is authoritative rabbinical teaching. Now listen to the unauthoritative Dan preaching and teaching because I'm just a guy who reads with an active imagination. And what I'm imagining is you've got this sort of stepchild running loose in this sort of uh, Bedouin sort of mobile community. You know what I mean? He's just kind of a wild child out on his own, kind of, you know, making his own rules. He, he's like Huckleberry Finn, right? He really is. He's like a Huckleberry Finn. He's just, he doesn't really, he's not really accountable to anybody. You know, uh, Ishmael, think about this because you've seen this in your own world. Ishmael gets sort of, over his he gets overlooked in ways that he should probably have gotten noticed because they overlook some of his indiscretions some of his you know when they see him out there you know with that stolen pack of marlboros sitting out there where the camels graze smoking away they just go nah you know he was born under weird circumstances you know we got to cut him a little slack you know it's all right and they give him a little break right and so they kind of overlook certain things cuz he's you know, it's not his fault he was born under such bizarre circumstances. And who knew his mother was going to turn rotten as soon as she got pregnant, you know. And that's not his fault, you know. And, and, and then Abraham's torn because it's like he loves this child. It's his son. And, and so, you know, he's like he has to walk on eggshells around his son whenever Sarah's watching. And Sarah's always watching, right? Because she's, she's mama bear. She's in charge of that household. And in case anybody had any doubts, the angel of the Lord said so, <laughs> you know. So, and I mean, look at it. Not only did Sarah get acknowledged as mistress of the household to Hagar, but also to Abraham. I mean, everybody that confronts Sarah's attitude gets told by some messenger from God, you better listen to her, you know. <laughs> there's, a, there's life lessons in this, I think, but... but in any case, so Ishmael's just kind of, you know, he's his rogue child doing his own thing, not very well disciplined, um, you know, but then again, he's probably doing things to get attention because he's not, people aren't paying attention to him, you know, he's, he's this, what they used to say back in the old days, you know, he's this redheaded stepchild or whatever, you know what I mean? He's, just, he's getting this treatment. Actually, I think that's Esau, right? Because he had the red hair, but that's another story. And, and so next thing you know, a little brother comes along. Oh, man, he's the chosen, you know? Imagine how this 13-year-old brat is feeling about having this, you know, star child born. Right? He knows the story. He knows that, you know, he's 13 years old and he probably already knows all about where babies come from and all of that, you know, because if he hadn't figured it out by decent and, and uh, qualified manner, he probably figured it out the way a lot of kids learn about those things from, you know, from that side of the neighborhood. You know, I, when I was growing up, there was this kid on our street named Tim Camus. Many of us decent little boys in that neighborhood lost our innocence because of Tim Camus, because his dad read dirty magazines and drank beer liberally, and somehow all of that managed to get down to the fort we built down in the woods or something, you know what I mean? And 
I'm not proud of that, but at the same time, I had no idea how damaging all of that is. I mean, you're 12 years old or whatever, you don't know. You don't know when you're 8, 10 years old that somebody is, you know, because all you are is just curious and fascinated and like, you know, I was sheltered, man. I mean, I was so sheltered. My sister was expecting the first grandchild in the family, and I felt like if I said pregnant, I was going to get my mouth slapped. I mean, that's the kind of place I grew up. And besides, I didn't have to do much to get my mouth slapped anyway. That's another story. <laughs> Oops, that's on the recording. Uh -oh. Who said that? <laughs> it wasn't me. So. <laughs> Well, anyway, all I'm saying is, is that I ran my mouth a lot, and I always got rewarded for it when I was a little child, but I was somebody that was always trying to get attention, too, so I remember it very well. But that's, that's only for me. That's, that, I'm just telling you how my imagination's informed here. I'm just telling you how I write my own midrash about this, and what I'm thinking is, is that, man, this... Isaac is is innocent little Danny and Ishmael is Tim Camus, you know, up the road. That's what I'm saying. I can picture this. And Mama Sarah has seen enough. And I guarantee you, you know, you don't want to mess with Mama at this point, right? So what does she do? She goes to Abraham because, you know, he's the dad. You need to do something about this. And he says, well, what am I supposed to do? I don't know what to do. And she's like, yeah, yeah, you know what to do. He's conflicted. Doesn't want to cast them out because that's his kid. And, you know, Abraham's a rule follower, so he probably lives vicariously through Ishmael, right? You know, it's kind of like, Besides, I kind of like his wildness, you know. I mean, he's, he's, he's doing things I should have done when I had time, when I was a kid, whatever. I'm just really just having fun at this point. But can you all see this? I mean, like, can, you, can you flesh this story out like that and begin to see these people as real characters? Because here's the problem. Sarah knows that Isaac is the child of a covenant with God and that Isaac is the child of a promise that that there's something waiting for Isaac. There's something special in store for Isaac and his descendants. And she knows that these corrupting influences are dangerous, very dangerous. And I don't think that she has forgotten that she was the one that proposed having Abraham marry Hagar and try to fulfill the covenant by having Ishmael. I don't think she's forgotten that. I think she's just a mom who says, well, we got a little ahead with God's plan and now we're suffering the consequences. Everybody in the room who has ever done anything in your life that you're still suffering the consequences <laughs> from, please raise your hand. Yeah, because we all do, don't we? We all have certain decisions we made that we just have to live with, you know? Um, and they could be the simplest decisions, and they can be complicated decisions where we had every opportunity to change our mind, and 
we just kept resisting all the stop signals that the good Lord was putting up, right? Sarah is clear. And it's ironic in a funny way to me because she is the one who giggled and laughed when she overheard the conversation. How'd she overhear that anyway? I mean, I know they live in tents, but, you know, seemed like maybe that all that work in the kitchen and all those banging dishes had gotten awfully quiet right about the right time for her to hear that she was going to have a baby and what she say. <laughs> right. And the angels are, you know, like, uh, Sarah, not funny. <laughs> okay. It's not funny. And they named him Isaac. Huh? I didn't laugh. No, no. That, you know, then she picks up the dishes. I'm not doing anything. I didn't. I don't know what you're talking about. I hear nothing. You know. But anyway, yes. Didn't God say in the Bible to them that both Ishmael and Isaac were going to be have numerous descendants? I know. Yes. Isaac was supposed to have like millions of them, but Ishmael was as well, right? Yes. Yes. The difference is, is that God has a special covenant that God made with Abraham that is fulfilled through Isaac. And that's what we're getting to here. So we've got this alignment of two children of Abraham, one who is the son of the covenant, who is born miraculously, right? And one who is the son of a human decision that is born in a more natural and normal way. Do you see that? Talk about Isaac's birth for a minute. What do we know about this birth that makes it miraculous? Yeah, I mean, Abraham was too old and certainly Sarah was too old. And yet they had a baby. Now, I don't know about you, but I've always wondered. I, I've watched my dear bride carry, you know, five children, and I, I think she did that in her 20s. I want to know how in the world this 90-something-year-old woman went about carrying a child for nine months. Wow. They make them strong in those days, apparently. So if this wasn't a miracle, what was it? So what's the difference between Isaac's birth and Ishmael's birth? Yeah. And maybe you've already addressed this, but wouldn't typically the firstborn be the inheritance? Why is the covenant with God and Isaac and not God and Ishmael? Because God promised Isaac or promised uh, Abraham and Sarah that they would have a child, and from that child the covenant would be fulfilled. That was the promise, and the whole thing with with Hagar was sort of their impulsive, sort of impatient way of trying to deal with it is what it appears to be. Well, they were, they were trying to make God's promise work. Yeah. And so yeah. God make it work. So, life lesson. <laughs> How many of you have been tempted and maybe given into the temptation to try to accelerate God's plan for your life by making decisions that seemed like God would probably go along with this. You know, when I was an associate pastor in Franklin, the senior pastor was real prone to making plans and then asking God to endorse them. <laughs> and if God didn't endorse them, then he just worked a lot harder on those plans until they finally looked successful. 
And the funny thing is they would never bear fruit. You know, and it's like, well, you can, you know, you, you can force something to happen that looks like God's in it, but sooner or later it, it's missing the God thing, you know. So the God thing in the story of Isaac is, is that it's a miraculous birth. Does that remind you of anybody else's birth? Jesus. Yeah. Somebody else was born miraculously and in an unlikely way um, without being crude. The reality of Mary is, is it was as impossible for her to be pregnant as it was for Sarah. Thus, the virgin birth. That both were impossible births. And they happen. And so that's the first thing you notice. Um, so let's talk a bit. I, I've been lecturing for 35 minutes here. Let me just throw it up back to you all. So why is it important to help your children avoid corrupting influences? Because they're easily corruptible. Yeah, they're just... It's not that they're stupid. They're just naive, right? They just don't know what they don't know. They can't put anything that comes to them in perspective yeah. of a lifelong repercussion. Yeah. So adult intervention is really important. It really is. And I just, I look around this room and see moms, you know, and, and, and it's not that us dads don't have a role in all this, but you can identify with Sarah, can't you? Sarah is beginning to see a really bad situation here with Ishmael, and she says, this has to stop. This, this can't keep going on like this. Have you ever had an experience like that in your life or recall one in your family's story where, you know, people moved away in order to change the circle of friends or change the influences have you ever had something like that happen I, I I've seen it I think I told you last week there was this boy in my church uh, in Sullivan whose grandparents were really worried about him and they asked me to counsel with him and I did and and he wanted to do well and and uh, uh, but he just kept running back with the same guys he kept getting in trouble because he kept running with the same bunch of guys and so Grandpa and I, Grandpa was retired from Black Beauty, uh, or Black Diamond, I mean, coal uh, up there in Sullivan County. And he and I went and talked to some people, and we, we got Lance a job. And we told Lance, we said, this job is a one-time deal. You, you blow this, you'll never get another job like this again. And it paid really, really well. Well, Lance started working 12, 14 hour days, six days a week, pretty much stopped his social life altogether. And you know what? Today, Lance is married, has a few kids, nice house, doing real well. Because just a little bit of hard work and a whole lot of time doing something constructive rather than destructive made all the difference, right? So I think Sarah was right. And so how do you help children avoid these corrupting influences and is it everybody's responsibility I mean don't we don't we all have a certain role in it isn't that kind of what the church is about and 
I mean, it's tricky nowadays because, in, in, you know, when most of us were kids, if, if your church family corrected you or something, nobody was going to say anything. But now it's like, well, you know, can't meddle in other people's we'll lives. Take that oath when you have baptism that we all will. Yeah, that's right. That Thank child. you. That's right. I always ask when I do a baby baptism, will you all help nurture these children or this child? And, and that, that kind of comes with a responsibility, doesn't it? Well, that's why relationships in a church or any community is so important. Because if you, like for example, if I corrected her girls, she knows me well enough, she would know that I did because I love them so much and I want them to be good adults. But if you don't know each other, then you're like, then you can't, you don't feel comfortable doing that. So relationships yeah. are just so important. Yeah. Yeah, and actually a parent who's really, you know, eager to have their children grow up under good influence you want them around a place like this where you have common values and you can you can feel comfortable with the people that meet your kids in the hall or whatever, you know. And and most of us will do that in a very reasonable way. I think we'll go the other way too, where kids in relationships, you know, hey, see what see what I can get away with. And the next one says, Well, I can get away with more than that. Uh-huh. Uh -huh. And so obviously, you know, I don't know, if it was Wes that was saying it just a minute ago, it sounds like it, you know, it takes a village. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It really, you know, it does. And and it it takes people of the same tribe. <laughs> I guess that's probably an important distinction because we have to be of the same basic mindset and values. Um, because, again, we could end up being the corrupting influence. You know, and I just think that parents have to be as vigilant as Sarah here as far as watching and listening and, you know, can't you just see Isaac coming in and she says, wash your face and hands. What were you two up to today? Oh, we went here and we went there and, and uh, you know, we ran old what's his name's camels off that was really funny he chased them for two hours <laughs> and all the while Sarah's going mm -mm. you know ah, Ishmael told me this joke today I don't quite get it but it was really funny <laughs> Sarah's going mm -mm. you know uh, let's see, we already talked about the distinctive differences between Isaac and Ishmael. What do you think Abraham's parenting style? I, I wanted to ask that because I was thinking, you know, Sarah's pretty, it's pretty clear what Sarah did and didn't do and how proactive she was. But what do you think about Abraham? Passive. Yeah. Passive. But they were both his sons. Yeah, they were both his sons. That's, and, and, you know, so he wasn't helping the situation. And I have to admit that, you know, the dynamics very different in those days. Um, you know, what with them all kind of living under one roof and, you know, sometimes, I don't think this is the case in this family, but sometimes there's multiple wives and different moms and, you know, all of that. Yes? Was Ishmael still around when Abraham took Isaac to be offered as a sacrifice? Well, that's interesting because the Bible doesn't say that. But this guy that I just read from says that Ishmael was there. Because if he was chosen as the sacrifice, it must have meant that he had a 
higher, you know, calling than Ishmael in some ways. I think we can... Well, that's what we're all talking about is how Isaac had the higher calling. But, yes. Um, yeah, it's... Ishmael obviously didn't have the higher calling if he wasn't sacrificed. Yeah, yeah, I think you make an excellent point. I, you know, what we know from Scripture that we can trust is, is true is that at some point, Abraham is asked to sacrifice Isaac, not Ishmael. So who's the covenant with or who's it about? You know, and, and Abraham's problem is, is that he's thinking, now, how can you fulfill a covenant if I kill him? Abraham concludes that it's because God's going to raise him right back up again. You know, that's what he thinks is going to happen. And then God shows him the way that is exactly parallel to what Jesus does, which is a scapegoat. You know, and so the whole point of the story then becomes how God provides the lamb for the sacrifice. Um, what's interesting, though, is, is that most... Most stories, most of your little flannel graphs and coloring books and everything always portray uh, Isaac as being a little kid when this happens, but it's very likely he was in his 30s when this happened, you know, and he's, he's like, all right, Dad, you know, we figured this day would come eventually, you know, there's got to be a plan here, God's got this. Um, there's a really terrific, I don't know if it's a miniseries or a single movie, but it was from gosh, probably the 80s, and it was uh, the story of Abraham, and, and it had uh, uh, Barbara Hershey playing Sarah, and um, oh, what's his name? I just forgot his name. Uh, Man Called Horse. He was the first Dumbledore. What was his name? Richard. Richard Harris. Thank you. This thing had Richard Harris playing Abraham, and it had Barbara Hershey in it, and it was really good. Really good. I, if you can find it, you know, on YouTube or Netflix or something, I would recommend it. Okay, uh, we have still 12 minutes left. By the way, if you're in the choir and you want to leave before we're done, just go. Because I don't want anybody to get, you know, be mad at me because I ran over. But I told, uh, told somebody last week and I told Courtney tonight at supper, I'll try, but, you know, if they're late... You know, here's something I thought you'd find interesting. This is from Rabbi Lappin. And this is really interesting to me because this is in the Clash of Destiny material. So uh, he says, go ahead and write down three of the most strongly held views in politics, culture, or economics. Now be honest. How many of them did you arrive at through thorough investigation and independent analysis? The amazing truth is that we base many of our views on positions held by our friends, family, or the news and entertainment media. In 1953, psychologist Solomon Aish invited volunteers to participate in a scientific experiment. They were conducted into a room with other uh, people purporting to have responded to the same advertisement. Really, they were Solomon Ace's secret collaborators. Ace showed drawings of various lines and asked everyone to estimate their length. And when the collaborators responded accurately, so did the genuine subject. 
When all the collaborators responded with prearranged wrong answers, the volunteer usually ended up agreeing with their widely improbable figure. The experiment was repeated in a wide variety of scenarios, but the incontrovertible conclusion emerged. Most people are significantly swayed in their beliefs by what others around them think, no matter how preposterous the thinking. This can harm our lives if we buy into untrue but popular mindsets regarding our finances, our families, or our faith. Ancient Jewish wisdom addresses this issue through a peculiar pattern in the Torah. Wouldn't you expect the Hebrew word for camel to appear fairly randomly throughout Genesis? After all, it was the main mode of transport and nearly everyone in Genesis traveled. This is how the word camel looks in Hebrew. Well, it looks like some squiggly lines, three of them. And turns, it turns out that over 70% of the instances of camel appearances in the entire five books of Moses occur in the context of the life of Isaac. Here is the first time the Hebrew word for camel, gamal, intersects with the life of Isaac. And he had, he, and the lad grew and became a camel. And Abraham made a big feast on the day that Isaac became a camel. Genesis 21, 8. Okay, calm down. I know that your English translation reads, and the lad grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a big feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But I am giving you the accurate translation of the Hebrew. You can see for yourself that the root of the word I am producing here, reproducing here, which is used over eight uh, in verse 8, looks exactly like the word for camel that is showed above. So, Again, he's showing those squiggly lines that spell camel. Deeper meaning is often embedded in the Torah by certain words consistently conveying certain themes. What is the thematic meaning of the camel? The camel is an independent creature that can cross vast distances of dry desert. Its independence comes from consuming voluminous quantities of water. The thematic meaning of water throughout the Torah, in addition to its literal meaning, is the entire body of divine wisdom. This is why many languages employ the figure of speech, thirst for knowledge. Abraham was intent that his son, the firstborn Jew, should possess the advantage of spiritual and intellectual independence. Isaac needed to forge his own relationship with God, not simply believe what his father told him, once he was filled with water or wisdom, he would be able to traverse distances through alien territory, ideas, just like a camel. And when this was achieved, Abraham made a feast. The story about finding Isaac's bride, Rebecca, Genesis 24, 10 to 67, is filled with camels. Abraham's servant, Eliezer, revealed new ideas of God and truth to Rebecca. And when she decided that she must leave her family and embark on her own spiritual a spiritually independent path, she naturally got up on a camel. Upon meeting Isaac, she can now share her life partner's camel, so to speak. Accordingly, the camel references culminate with her getting down off her own camel in Genesis 24, 64. Someone who automatically disagrees with popular opinion is a grouch. Someone who always agrees with popular opinion is a fool. Don't leave home without your camel. There you go. So the word camel comes up 
in this particular round of story. And what it means is that they have become independent and now depend on their own resourcefulness for survival and for moving forward in life. So when you hear that word camel, that's what it means. And so that explains why Sarah was so certain that if she didn't get Ishmael out of the picture, this was going to send Isaac forward with a corrupted camel. <laughs> to put it another way, how many of you have heard the saying, and I don't know if I get this exactly right, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't there some sort of saying that says, you know, if you haven't given them all your moral values by the time they're 12, you've, you're done, right? Isn't there, isn't there something like that, that mm -hmm. you've got until they're about 12 years old to really influence your children, and then they're pretty much camel. They're on their own. So that's just kind of interesting. What else do we want to, any questions, comments? Yeah. You want to hear something funny? Now, now, I don't mind if this gets recorded. My son, Jonathan, is one of my favorite people in the whole world, and he's a bad influence on me. <laughs> he's the son. I'm the dad. But I will blow money on something stupid every time I'm running around with him because he makes it sound like such a good idea. <laughs> That's the truth. That's the truth. Oh, Dad, you need that. Yeah, I don't really need it that bad. Oh, come on, Dad, you need one of those. Well, I don't know, maybe you're right. I mean, <laughs> I kid him about it all the time. I said, John, I'll go out with you to the store or whatever, but I'm leaving my wallet at home. Do you understand? <laughs> it's dangerous every time I run around with my son. So, you know, I thought I was Campbell, but I could still be influenced by my son. Well, that's where we're going next with this, because this whole study is about the differences between Israel and Islam. But the one thing we can say for sure right now is at this point in our discussion, we know that Jews certainly think that Isaac is the son who is the first Jew and brings the, the whole course of Judaism into. And then for Christians, that means that it's the same Isaac that, you know, eventually gives us Jesus, you know, so, so I mean, Jews and Christians believe that Abraham's son Isaac is the one from the chosen line, and where we go with the, the Islam part, I'm not ready to do yet, but okay. you have to tune in next week, but... It will be helpful to you, I, I don't have any homework for you tonight, but it will be helpful to you to um, just, if you want to do any independent research, just look up Ishmael and, and see what you find out. Uh, if you Google it, the Jewish spelling is Yishmael with a Y, because that's how they would say his name. But, you know, if you're looking for anything about Ishmael, 
or Yishmael, uh, you know, you'll find all kinds of interesting stories. And the main thing that you need to know is, is that eventually the story diverges out of Scripture for three major world religions. So you all know how this story ends in a way, because at some point, Jewish scripture says, this is it, there is no more, that's there, you know, and we have then the New Testament, which says what we believe about Christ, and the Islam has Muhammad, who basically says, um, and I, I'm reluctant to use this term, but just to give you a way to think about this for the next time, Muhammad is kind of like their Christ. He's not really like a Messiah figure, but he's the person who takes the Abrahamic story in a different direction. So, so there's this point where they're all in alignment with each other. We're in alignment with Judaism because we are Judaism with, you know, bells and whistles, so to speak. But at some point they go in three different directions all around the same time. And that's when some major prophetic events happen. And, uh, just know this, Christians are, we are, we are so much in line with Judaism. Just, just our, our devotion to Israel as a people, not necessarily as a government, because governments can be good, bad, or whatever, but, but our alignment with Israel as a, as a people is very important because they are us. You know, we're, we're, we're descendants of Abraham in a manner of speaking. But Islam really doesn't have a whole lot in common with either one. And we'll see that. Anything else? George, you got a prayer for us? I do. We missed you last week. George, George, George of the Dungal. Look out for that prayer! <laughs> Georgism or Ballism that I haven't heard. <laughs> I went to the Catholic Great Schools in Indianapolis and they were ruthless. I'm sorry. With that, thank you for your presence with us this day as we depart from this space. Now we ask you to bless us throughout the remainder of the day and guide us safely home. Do not let the learning and conversations of this gathering die, but instead may they continue to ruminate within us, bear fruit in our ministries throughout the year until we find ourselves together again. We ask this in the name of Jesus and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 That's a good prayer. Ruminate. You know what that means, right? Ruminate. Cows ruminate. <laughs>